today I'm excited. We are starting a brand new series. And uh, we are going to be talking about, uh, well, the title of this new series is called Understanding the Times. Amen. Amen. Understanding the Times. It is vitally important for us as uh, children of God to understand the times that we are in. Amen. And in this series, uh, you will learn a lot about why we do what we do, why we have church. And uh, a lot of people, actually a lot of pastors, uh, it's sad, but uh, this is real. A lot of pastors, pastor churches, but they don't know why they have church. A lot of church folk go to church, <laughs> but they don't know why they go to church. Amen? Man, growing up, I, I, I was your why guy. I wanted to know why. You know, get up, wash, brush your teeth, have breakfast so we can go. Why? Because that's what we just grew up doing. No, that's not going to cut it. You know why? Because the Bible says anything that you do from a position of tradition. What does it say? It says it is the traditions of men that makes the gospel of none effect. In other words, traditions void the word of God from power and from operating in power. Amen? Amen. So you have to understand the times. As a child of God. Amen? And we're going to teach about the coming times. And the reason why we teach on the coming times is not to get you sad and fearful. How many of you know that the book of Revelation is not written to reveal the devil? That's right. Uh, that's right. The first verse in the book of Revelation says the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. Amen? Amen? It is an awesome book when you read it with the mindset... Uh, of looking for Jesus within the scripture. Amen? And if you go to scripture, there are only three things that the Apostle Paul said, I would uh, urge you not to be ignorant of. Three things. The first one was concerning spiritual gifts. He said, brethren, I would not want you to be ignorant of this. And the second thing was concerning the superiority of the New Testament or the New Covenant over the Old Covenant. How many of you know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? But covenants change. And you must know which covenant you belong to. Amen. Otherwise, you're going to miss out on a lot of blessings. The Bible says you and I, <laughs> we have a better covenant established on better promises. Amen. Amen? You and I have a better covenant. And this covenant is established on better promises. And you and I need to take advantage of that new covenant. Did you know that the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is not just one blank page in the middle that says now you're entering the New Testament? It's a totally different covenant. In fact, the prophets wrote of the day that you and I live in, and they said, man, we would give anything to live in that day. Amen? And here we are on the other side of the horizon trying to go back to the olden days. Pulling people with us. I remember as a young adult group we were trying to get a name for a youth group at the time. And then someone said, Joshua Generation. Everybody said, yeah, yeah, Joshua Generation. We were all so excited. Until I read the scripture that no, what Joshua had is far inferior to what you and I have. The Bible says the least one in this kingdom is greater than the Old Testament prophets. You thought Moses was awesome. No, you are awesome, ma, if there is a word. 
You just have to know it. If you are in the body of Christ, man, you could be the armpits in the body of Christ. You are better than Moses. You could be that little nail on the little toe. You are way better than what they had in the Old Testament. All you have to do is to realize who you are and start walking in it. So Joshua's generation was far below what I'm cut out for. I'm cut out for the Jesus generation. You know why? Because greater is He that is on the inside of me. See, the Old Testament prophets could not say that. They could only say greater is He that is with us. You and I can say greater is He that is on the inside of me than He that is in the world. You know why? Because God Almighty Himself left heaven to come and live on the inside of you. Man, tell your neighbor, I'm big on the inside. Tell your other neighbor, you better be glad you're sitting next to me. Oh yeah, you better be glad. Amen. Let's quickly now go to um, uh, Hebrews chapter number 1 verse 1. Hebrews chapter number 1 verse 1. Might as well just jump right into it. Hebrews chapter number 1 verse 1. Watch what it says. It says, God who at sundry times in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophet. Next verse. And has in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So he's showing us here that they are different sundry times, he calls them, that they are different dispensations of times. The uh, phrase sundry times is in the Greek, uh, the word polymeros, which means different time periods or dispensations. Now, our God is an orderly God. God does not do things haphazardly. Amen? God has carefully planned everything that you see today. He already knew. God did not, was not surprised when Adam ate of the fruit. Did you know that? God already knew it was going to happen. So why did he let it happen, Pastor? See, if he knew Adam was going to fail, why set him up? That's how some of you think. In fact, the Bible says Jesus Christ was crucified before the foundations of the world. God had in his archives the plan to restore mankind to that relationship with him way before he began. Because he knew what was going to happen. And the reason why he let out Adam in the Garden of Eden to fail and so on and so forth is because he had looked down the corridors of time and he saw you and I and he knew that you and I were going to be committed to him, reconnected with him, we're going to bask in his presence and God was compelled with compassion and he thought it was all worth it. That's the reason why he let it happen. He looked at it and said, Man, I'm going to redeem them and it's all worth it. Because there's going to be billions and billions of little Jesuses running around the earth carrying out my original intent. They're going to be casting out devils. They're going to be laying hands on the sick and they recover. Someone shout, that's me. Man, after this series, you're not going to have to wait on your pastor to cast out devils. You're going to know who you are in Christ and you're going to play your position. God never called you to be a cheerleader. This thing that we see in the body of Christ where people fill up stadiums just to cheer on one man 
casting out devils is a misnomer. God called you and I to be an army, not cheerleaders. And we are in war. Amen? Tell your neighbor, quit cheerleading. And do your part. Tell your other neighbor, you have power to cast out devils. Tell your other neighbor, you have power to heal the sick. That's what the Bible says. Well, Pastor T, I don't feel like it. It doesn't matter. You still have the power. Amen? And you better start doing that. Hallelujah? So there are different sundry times that God spoke to His children. Different dispensations. Some may call it. And, and, and with this, all of the Protestants, the, 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 the uh, Orthodox, agree on these seven dispensations of time. The first dispensation was what is called the dispensation of innocence. Where God created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden. And they were innocent. And the second dispensation is called the dispensation of conscience. In the days of Noah. Where God let their conscience determine what was right and wrong. And that didn't work. And right after that is what is called the dispensation of human government. Where the Tower of Babel, they tried to fix things in their own strength. And yet the Bible says in Jeremiah 10, 23, it is not right or it is not proper for a man who walks to direct his own steps. God never created for you to direct your own steps. Did you know that? Why? Because the steps of a righteous man are to be ordered of the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 23. And right after the dispensation of human government was the dispensation of the promise. Where God gave the promise to Abraham. And he said, in blessing, I will bless you. And right after that is the dispensation of the law, where God gave the Ten Commandments to his children or to the children of Israel through Moses. Notice he didn't give the Ten Commandments to you and me. We weren't even part of the deal. Uh, amen. Amen. He wasn't talking to you when he gave the Ten Commandments. You know, I always get into trouble when I teach like this. You know why? Because there are some people that really want to keep the Ten Commandments. And I ask them, what are the Ten Commandments? They don't even know. (laughs) They're fighting to want to keep the law. The law was not even given to you. In fact, God gave 613 laws and bylaws to the children of Israel, not for them to keep it. The law was never given for you to keep it. It was given for you to realize you couldn't keep it. So that you would despair and turn around and say, Lord, I can't do it. And then, bam, Jesus comes on the scene. And you say, I need a Savior. And you receive Jesus Christ. And He keeps it for you. Uh, And we transition from that dispensation of the law into what you and I live in now called the dispensation of grace. Or the dispensation of the church, the ecclesia. God in this dispensation does everything To touch people's lives, to reach to communities through one institution. And that institution is called the church. And the word church is not religious at all. When Jesus called you and I the church, that was not a religion. He reached out, in fact, into the political world to name us. The word church is the Greek word ecclesia, which means the called out ones. Called out to do what? To run and to be the government in the earth realm. When you and I get together, whatever we say goes. That's why the Bible says you will touch and agree on anything in the earth realm. It shall be done by my Father which is in heaven. The church is the government in the earth realm. 
Man, we have power. <laughs> and the reason why evil cannot totally take over our community is because you and I are here. When we go into the next dispensation, which is called the dispensation of the millennial reign of our Lord Jesus Christ, from this dispensation, man, before we do that, the church is going to be taken away and evil will take over the whole world for seven years. And when Jesus was uh, uh, talking about that period, he said, man, pray that it doesn't happen in winter. And he also said, pray that you're not pregnant at the time. But you and I will be out of here. You know why? Because we'll be in heaven. And here, here is something that should give, make you sleep at night. Paul said it like this. He said these present uh, troubles and sufferings and challenges, they are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is about to be revealed. Man, heaven is one big party. Man, I'm looking forward to being in heaven. A lot of people don't know anything. They think, Pastor, what are we going to be doing in heaven? Are we going to just, you know, wear white robes and get our heads uh, uh, shaved and, and walk around, you know, listening to classic music, just like zombies? No, man, heaven is going to be fun. The Bible says, uh, uh, in fact, science will tell you that the, the universe is expanding at the speed of light. Man, we're going to have a lot to do. In fact, the Bible says, before you and I check out, our mortality will put on immortality in the blink or the twinkling of an eye. Just blink. We'll be out of here. That quick. And we'll meet Jesus. In fact, man, this is so awesome. The Bible says Jesus will come and he will not touch down. And all of the dead people will be raised. And uh, you and I will have immortal bodies and we'll be raptured out of here. You know, with an immortal body, you can do with it whatever you want. You can just say, six-pack, and boom. Yeah. <laughs> you can walk through a wall with an immortal body. You know, when Jesus was raised from the dead, the Bible says he walked in through, through a wall to where the disciples were. He was just showing off his immortal body. With an immortal body, you're not, you don't even move at the speed of light. That's too slow. You move at the speed of thought. You just think Pluto, boom, you're there. Now you tell me heaven is going to be boring. No, it's not going to be boring. It's going to be fun. Playing pool with the planets, Baba. Amen. And heaven is going to be awesome. God is creating all of this for you and I to enjoy. Forever and ever. And all you have to do is to put your trust in Jesus. That's how simple it is. A lot of people think heaven, people will make heaven based on what they did. No, you can't make heaven based on what you do. You know why? Because God's standard is so high. <laughs> if you look at a woman lustfully, you've seen. Oh, in our world, for us to consider you an adultery, you actually have to touch the woman. No, not with God's standard. With God's standard, if you look at your brother hatefully, you've already committed murder. Based on that, Paul declared all have sinned. Everybody. All have sinned and they have fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody will make heaven, heaven based on what they did or didn't do. Because you couldn't make the cut. In fact, they tried it in the Old Testament. You know what God said? He said, your own righteousness 
is as filthy rags in my eyes. And that's an understatement. What he actually said was, your own righteousness is like menstrual, menstrual rags. What do they call them? Menstrual cloths. He said he doesn't even... You think you did well? I look at it and I'm thinking, man, you're so far below my level of righteousness. So how do you attain God's level of righteousness? You put your trust in the man who attained it for you. You put your trust in Jesus. Not in your works. Because your works will fail you. Hallelujah. This is why when we get to heaven, (laughs) three things are going to happen. You're going to look around and see people that you didn't expect to see in heaven. And then you're also going to look around and not see people that you expected to see in heaven. Because in your own estimate, you think they are so righteous. Oh, that word is so holy. No, that's not what makes you enter heaven. What makes you enter heaven is who you have put your trust in. You know the two thieves uh, on Jesus' side of the cross? That represents all of humanity. Everybody be a thief. Destined to go to hell. The difference was what they did with Jesus. The other thief said, hey, hey, Master, I'm so sorry, you know. (laughs) Please remember me when you enter into paradise. And Jesus said, surely I'll remember you. The other thief said, man, you're, 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 And he was destined for destruction. Uh, Amen. What you do with Jesus will determine whether you will enter heaven or not. Why is this? You and I live in the greatest time of all time. And man, Jesus introduced this dispensation with so much class. The Bible says he was ascended into the uttermost parts of hell. You know when Jesus Christ died on the cross? He went into the uttermost parts of hell and defeated the devils in there. This is now in Ephesians 4. Okay, I'm starting from verse 10. I'm just paraphrasing. And he defeated the devils in there. And the Bible says on his way back, he took captivity captive. You know what that means? That means he took all of the Old Testament saints who had lived... Uh, 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 on, on, on the righteousness of God on credit. Because Jesus Christ had not yet come. So they did it by faith. He took captivity captive. He took them from a place called paradise and led a parade to heaven and root the earth realm. So they passed through the earth realm. In fact, the Bible says dead men were seen walking the streets of Jerusalem as they were going out to, up to heaven. And the Bible says the same one that descended is the same one that ascended. And when he ascended, he obtained and gave gifts to men. And he gave some to be apostles, gave some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Watch this. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry so that they may no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. God himself established leadership in his ecclesia, in the church, so that the leaders may equip. Someone say equip. Equip. Notice I didn't say exploit. Hallelujah. God didn't put the fivefold ministers in the church to exploit. He put them in to equip. You know what that means? That means a good apostle, a good prophet, a good evangelist, a good pastor and teacher... Work so hard to a point that you don't need them. If your child gets sick and you still need me, I, I'm, I, I ain't doing my job. Because I'm supposed to equip you. To know what to do. 
Lay hands on the sick and they recover. To take care of business. So that you may no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. This is the greatest time to be alive. It's the greatest. Go with me to Matthew chapter number 11, verse 11. It's the greatest time to be alive. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Watch what it says. Verily, I say unto you, among them that are born of women, he's talking about you now, there is not written any greater than John the Baptist. So he's saying up to the time he was announcing this, no one before that was greater than John the Baptist. So he's talking about Isaiah, Jeremiah, anybody from the Old Testament, none of them were greater than John the Baptist. Amen? Amen. But watch what it says. Notwithstanding that he... He that is least in the kingdom is greater than he. In other words, he that is least in this kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Because this is a much more, far superior kingdom to be in than what they had in the Old Testament. It's, it's to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ, the ecclesia, is such an awesome privilege. Amen. Someone once gave an analogy of this as, as, as Jesus being the Son, S-O-N, Son of God, right? And also the Son, S-U-N, right? And the church is the moon, alright? How many of you know that the moon does not emit any light of itself? Just like the church should not emit any light of it. Man, we don't have to crank to try and get the anointing to come down. No, we just emit the light that shines from Jesus. The church is a reflection of the light that comes from Jesus. Now, after that, one of the responsibilities of the moon is to keep the tides of the sea at bay. Keep them in check so that they don't run over the inhabitable land that you and I live in. Without the moon, we'd have water running over all our communities, our houses, our streets and everywhere. So the moon keeps the tides of evil or of the sea from running over our communities the same way the church keeps the tides of evil from running over our communities. Without the church, evil will go rampant. But once the church is raptured, shoo, taken out of the earth realm, evil will take over. But as long as you and I are here, evil cannot take over. Can't take over our families. It can't take over our houses. Can't take over our neighborhoods. You know why? Because when you and I touch hands and shanda, 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 we keep the tides of evil at bay. That's the power God gave to you and me. Hallelujah. Man, you are great. You are awesome. You're living at the uh, most awesome time to be alive, to be a part of the ecclesia, the church of God. In fact, the Bible says the church has been given to become stewards of the manifold grace of God. Yes. The grace of God is manifold. It has many faces. And the church has been given all of those anointings to become the, the, the stewards of the manifold grace of God. Someone shout amen. amen. Man, this is awesome. As we close, let's quickly go now to uh, 
Ephesians chapter number 2 from verse 19 to 22. Ephesians chapter number 2 in the Message Bible, if you will. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Watch what it says in Ephesians chapter number 2 from verse 19. Ah, is that plain enough, isn't it? You are no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You are no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here. Tell your neighbor, I belong here. With as much right to the name Christian as anybody. God is building a home. He's using us all irrespective of how we got here in what he is building. See, the church is a supernatural institution. If I was to give each and every one of you an opportunity to share of how you got here, they are all supernatural. No one has your phone number. The pastor didn't even know you. But guess what? You're here today. You know why? Because it's not a natural habitation. It's a supernatural thing. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he is using you. Someone say me. Did you see that? He's using you. So the church is not the pastors. In fact, it does not belong to anybody. Jesus said, I will build my church. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. And he will build it. And guess what? He wants to build it with you. He wants to see your fingerprint on his vision. On, on what he's doing in the earth realm. He wants you to be a part of it. He wants you to, to put your gifts in there. To make them work for what he's doing in the earth realm. That's the reason he gave these gifts to you. Amen? He says now he's using you. Fitting you in brick by brick. Stone by stone with Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. Next verse. That holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day. A holy temple built by God. Next verse. All of us built into it a temple in which God is quite at home. All of us are a part of it. Amen? Amen. Next week we're going to be talking about what makes this dispensation of grace such a great dispensation. Such an awesome time to be alive. And man, I'm telling you, it will excite you. It will change your your perspective of church. It will change the way you see church. You will not attend church as just another religious obligation. You know why? Because it is not. You are a brick. Amen? Tell your neighbor you are a brick. Not, not, not couples. Because some of you might mean it. Amen? Some of you looking at your husband like, You are a brick. Why don't you stand on your feet? Amen?